On this episode of Sessions, we chat with Simon Inover, the founder of Quip, about building a disruptive brand, his approach to product design, and the success behind subscription services. Hey there, and welcome to Sessions, a podcast presented by Matt Black, the creators behind the Shapeshift Report. I'm Micah Hayfoop, the Director of Operations here at Max Black, and today I'm here with Simon Enover, the founder of Quip. Simon, how are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, a bit tired after a long flight today, but yeah, I'm feeling good. I will say that you have the honor of being the first, um, I guess, transatlantic interview that we've recorded now that we're doing this. We're doing it all the way across the pond, so... Small trophy, but congratulations. Great. I'll, I'll tell yeah. the accounts manager at Quip that uh, it's yeah. worth the, the, the phone bill. <laughs> it's worth the bill. Okay, so before we dive into what Quip is, we always do a couple quick-fire questions just to get to know you. So I have a couple things here I'd love to know yep. about. What's the last book you read? Uh, this will probably hint towards what Quip is, but a riveting book called Teeth, the story of beauty, inequality, and the struggle for oral health in America uh, by Mary Oliver. Not joking. Okay, uh, I've just started it, so don't grill me on it, but um, it's it's been riveting a few pages in. (laughs) The book sounds like it's 900 pages. Uh, I think it is. Uh, I think it's probably at least 600, definitely, but um, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, so next question. Who is your doppelganger? Yeah, this, this is like a super awkward question. Um, I have been told, and I'd say maybe in a very unhealthy version of, of Buble, that, that's what it, that was like the, uh, the one mentioned in school back in the day. So uh, now a way more unhealthy uh, version of him, I would say. So why, why would they give you an unhealthy version of Michael Buble? I feel like they could just tell you look like Michael Buble, and that would be like they could stop it well, there. Yeah, I mean, I was a lot healthier at school, and now the hours are longer, and uh, you know, the startup startup life. So I'm just adding the un I'm adding the unhealthy piece on top. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, and the last question: What's your drink of choice? Um, that one's a pretty easy one. Well, maybe two things. I'd say Negroni when it comes to like a cocktail. Uh, it's okay. kind of a recent thing. A recent thing I got into maybe I don't know six months ago, but. I'm kind of obsessed with that now, and and beer wise IPA, and notice uh, I guess as a Brit, my default answer is alcoholic. So that's but but those are the no, true ones. <laughs> that's perfect because when we've asked this other question, people are like, oh, I just drink a lot of water, I drink a lot of tea. Like that's not what the people want to hear. Like we want to know cocktail wise. So I'm I'm right, in yeah. for a second and say one, how'd you get into Negroni? And then two, what kind of gin is in your perfect Negroni? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I could, yeah, I could name drop. Ah, I'm not too sure on the gin question. You know, I, I'm not too, I'm not too fussy with the gin. Uh, what got me into Negroni was by accident. I, I think someone ordered it by accident, and I just took one for the team and and had it. And I was kind of like, oh, this is a little bit weird, but it tastes strong. And again, maybe the Brit coming out. I think the strong was good. And then I had a couple more and just got like absolutely obsessed with it. So. It's just bitter. I, I love I love that bitter taste. I like you know really bitter coffee. I like bitter drinks. I love gin, and it's strong and it's kind of the perfect perfect combination yeah. of all those things. Well, and so, yeah, and 
classic. So it's not, it's a good cocktail to like because it makes you see, not like an aficionado. It's like not, it's not gussy, but it's also not like a gin and tonic. It looks like you, like you have taste, you know? Exactly. I completely agree. I feel one level above ordering a gin and tonic when I, yeah, when you order it. So. Yeah, and I, the other, one of the great there's one of the great thing about it is that loads of other people actually really don't like it, so you never get someone trying to share your drink. So that's yeah. uh, that's like a side bonus. <laughs> good, good point. That's a little life hack right there. So I would love I would love to dive in, and I just want to hear. I would love for you to tell the audience about how like one what Quip is, how you define yeah. it, and really then how it came to be, and we can dive a bit into your background after that, but I would just love to hear off the bat um, where you're at right now. Yeah, no. Um, so Quip is, uh, I mean, Quip's a, a modern oral health company kind of as a whole. I think that people would see us, and, and, and what we focused on right now is providing a really nice, simple, sleek, modern electric toothbrush, which looks a lot different and feels a lot different to what's out there, and and uh, has a, an optional subscription service attached where we, you know, replace your brush heads every every three months because uh, most people do not replace their kind of molding and ineffective brush heads when they should be. So that's kind of, you know, that's our current offering. Um, but we are trying to really, I don't want to use the disrupt word, but I've just used it. But, you know, we're trying to really change up um, and, and improve oral health and honestly just get people more focused on it. It's such an important part of your overall body health, like your life, uh, if your teeth start getting problems, it's usually irreversible, and yet we give it so little attention. Um, you know, we give everything else a lot of attention in our personal care, shaving, I don't know, skin care, hair care, health, fitness, uh, everything really nowadays, and, and oral care kind of got left by the by the side, and, and yet it's so important. So, yeah, Quip's, Quip's trying to make oral care a bit more enjoyable, uh, dare I say it, cool, sexy, well, kind of whatever you want it to be. But, um, well, I, I think with the design, like, you know, people will put in the show notes, go, like, being head over to the website, with the design, you guys have really done a great job of, of you know, and you kind of, like, almost say, like, hesitantly, like, ah, oh, dare we say it's sexy, like, it looks good, it's, it's incredibly modern. So I have to ask, then, how did you, like, dive into, like, did you go to... Orthodontist, like, were you an orthodontist? Did you go to orthodontist school? Like, how did you end up going down this route? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And usually that's tinged with how is a Brit, um, why is a Brit so interested in oral health Yo, and I trying to help, help America's teeth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that a lot. Uh, I think we're trying to embrace that more. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my background is a, is a product designer, uh, industrial design, I guess, is the was the education. Um, I used to be a design consultant, working on a whole bunch of things uh, all, um, for a few big design consultancies who did do projects for oral care brands, I don't know, everything really, cell phones, TVs, laptops, chairs, uh, some really interesting projects. And then, um, but, it, but Quip was very much born after a dental visit. I'd, I used to, yeah, going back to the Brit thing, I, I used to be a, a, a very underpaid designer. I'm sure everyone, every designer out there understands the, that, that, uh, feeling of being massively underpaid for like 10, your first 10 years as a designer. But I used to be a bit of a cheapskate and every time I'd go home to England each year, I'd get my British cleaning, which basically involves a five to 10 minute visit to your local dentist who kind of just brushes your teeth and, and lets you go. Um, I thought that was normal. About four or five years ago, 
my girlfriend uh, in New York was, was appalled that it had been a year since I'd gone to the dentist, forced me to my local, at the time, Queens dentist, and uh, Quip was very much born of my first U.S. dental experience. Um, I went to the dentist. I'd never been sat in a dentist chair as long as, as this, like, 45-minute cleaning, which I now understand yeah. is completely normal. Um, and and I was just kind of told by this really articulate, uh, I don't know, progressive dentist, all of the problems in his industry. I expressed all the same. I expressed all the problems in, in oral care. I brushed badly. Particularly, I brushed too hard, and that's a really common problem. But in general, I just didn't show you know, good brushing habits. And the dentist was like, look, people are being fed the wrong story. People are being told and felt like, uh, or made, being made to feel, sorry, like, uh, spending a lot of money, you know, features and, and in special ingredients and, I don't know, connectivity, all these kind of buzzwords are the thing that, are the thing that really, you know, bring you oral health benefits that kind of guarantee oral health when the truth is it's about these simple habits, you know, brushing twice a day, brushing gently, brushing for two minutes, changing your brush when it's worn out and visiting the dentist. And he just, he kind of sat there for an hour and was telling me that and telling me how, you know, the statistics around how badly people get those core things wrong. Uh, for, for one example, supposedly between 40 and 50% of Americans don't even brush their teeth twice a day. So you can kind of very soon see it doesn't matter if they're using, a, you know, a magic toothbrush at that point. If they're not even doing it as often as they should, then, you know, that's a major, major problem and something no one's, no one's focused on. And, and, yeah, the big insight was that really the reason was that people were – being made to feel the other things are more important than these good habits, yet the good habits are what mattered and no one was focusing on that. And so the idea for Quip was kind of born there, was to get people to understand what really mattered to oral health. And then, you know, how did we do that? I think the biggest problem that he identified and we certainly learned after doing some research was people just don't like brushing their teeth. They don't like going to the dentist. They don't like just anything about the, that act. And so Quip really... Yeah, it was designed to make people want to brush better. I think that's probably the most concise, concise way of putting it. Yeah, I love that because it's, it, one, it echoes for me being someone who used to go to the dentist. I went to the dentist so much when I was in like junior high, high school, like did the old braces, the retainer, like whatever. Like I just had horrible yeah. teeth, jeans from my parents. The, that now I'm like, I went to the dentist enough for a lifetime. Literally two weeks ago was the first time I went to the dentist in like five years. I'm ashamed of it, but I will admit it on the podcast. So that, like, because it, it fits into that. Like, it seems like such an inconvenience. And when you had said earlier, you're like, oh, you think about your hair care a lot. You think about all these things that are more like, they feel more external. And yeah. they're very immediate, right? Versus like brushing your teeth and like saving off cavities. It's like smoking where it's like, oh, I can't. Like, I don't feel the detriment now so you don't think to stop and you don't think to, um, you know, adjust your habits. Yeah, no. You know, it's a crazy industry to go into. And I would say looking at the site, like if you go to getquip.com, to me, when you go into something that's health-related and you're trying to do something modern, you normally it goes clean to the point of sterile. But you guys have done such a good job injecting the fun, as I would say. Like, the first thing on the site, you just have, like, it's even just this little motion in the toothbrush and the color changes. And then you have, like, this really clean, like, aqua pop that comes through in all of these different illustrations. And then there's animation, just, like, 
you guys made such a fun brand around something that normally we treat so, uh, would you say, like, I don't know, sterile? Yeah, no. Well, well firstly, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, the team have uh, certainly done a great job. And maybe, hopefully more excitingly, uh, we're, we're currently doing a big redesign of the, the entire front end of the website, which I, hopefully brings even more of that, um, you know, to the experience. But, yeah, I mean, that's the, that was the biggest insight was that, that, that honestly, things have been over, in oral care, things have been kind of over-designed. They've been just, they've made, they've been very feature-focused, very tech-focused. Um, the unfortunate thing being that, like, honestly, most of these things bring little to no benefit apart from to, you know, the profits, the price, as, as I don't think anyone would be surprised to hear. So we just felt like, you know, the toothbrush itself certainly had to be simplified. Uh, but the industry, the branding, that kind of feeling you got when you were thinking about oral care needed to be played up. Like, why shouldn't it be as, like we're saying, as enjoyable, as poppy, as fun, as all these other things that we spend so much time and, and money, honestly, and, and thought and care into? Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you're referencing the homepage. I think, you know, one big thing for us is the first thing we want to talk about is not about really the brush. It's kind of about oral health, you know, what, what really matters and why we're really here. I think that's the most important thing to understand because it's really simple to get the stuff right. Your story about not going for five years is so common and the biggest, you also identify the biggest problem. It's not like an instant hit. You don't instantly know that you've just made your teeth better, but in five years, you'll be paying $5,000 to get that root canal fixed, uh, and then it will hurt. When you could have been spending $5 every quarter just to change the toothbrush on time and, you know, and brush a little better each day. Oh, for sure. I, and that is my number one fear. I actually did well. I got away with only one cavity, but yes, it could, like, <laughs> it, it will be so much worse. Like, I'm back on the, I'm back on the schedule now. So let's talk about the design of the product a little bit. I know I was talking about the design of the site, and I'd love to hear your approach to um, and I think you're on, like, the second generation of, of the toothbrushes. But tell me a little bit about, like, coming from the background of industrial design, like, how did you approach it and, and where are you at with the product right now? Yeah, no, certainly. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe on the on the second part of the question, I think when we say second generation, I think it's probably the we, – we're constantly improving the product. And I, and I, I – you know, we, we, we changed from generation, generation one to generation two, I think back in the end of 2015. And, you know, we actually upgraded all our gen one users for free to, to gen two because we're just a, you know, we're a design orientated company. And I think it's all about just continually learning from it, what our, our members say, um, to improve everyone's experience, not just, you know, the, the new members. So I don't think we're not here to do what other brands do and kind of, create an update every year that we want people to go and fork out another 25 or $40 to, to upgrade to because we kind of guilt trip you into adding a new feature. It's not about that. I think the, the versioning is simply about continuing to improve the current product because we designed it in a way that was meant to be kind of all you need. You know, it doesn't need more. And if it helps you brush better, then it's doing its job. Um, so, you know, how we got to the design, I mean, that was amazingly driven by that first dental visit and, and then, you know, some key insights there, which were then verified by, I mean, probably a hundred dentists after that visit. But I think the most important, most important thing that we found was that the reason dentists are really recommending electric toothbrushes actually focuses around two quite simple things. One is the, 
which usually is in expensive brushes, but the timer. So, you know, I think the average brush brushing time for people is around 75, 85 seconds, so closer to one minute than the recommended two, which basically just means that you're not covering your mouth enough. You're not getting to each tooth one by one like you should be. So the timer was like the, the must-have part for, the, for an electric toothbrush. And the other side, when you really dig into and you talk to dentists about why they love electrics, is because basically whatever movement it has, whether it's vibration, rotation, you know, sensitive, ultrasonic, they all, the real reason dentists love them is actually for the habit building. So it, it, they, people, when they buy an electric toothbrush, tend to brush softer because the brush is giving a little helping hand so, you know, you don't press so hard. Um, you tend to go tooth by tooth because one good thing about the ads is that they show that idea of going gently tooth by tooth, which you should actually be doing even with a manual toothbrush. So they make you brush, brush better. Um, and a little bit going to the, uh, the, the thing that you brought up, you know, there isn't much reward in oral care. There's not much instant reward, but an electric toothbrush brings you that fresh feeling. And it's actually very powerful, that fresh feeling, in so much as people really enjoy using them more. And if you enjoy using something more, you tend to use it more often, and you tend to think about it more and care more while you're doing it. You know, maybe now you're picking the brush up twice a day, and you're not in the 50% that don't. So learning what really mattered to a dentist when it came to electric toothbrush, a timer, you know, and some level of, of movement and fresh feeling and, and habit forming, uh, we basically set out to create a toothbrush that focused just on those things, just on the things we needed. And so we took the features that dentists recommend and we just left off the probably now eight, nine, ten other modes, whether it's connectivity or ultra mode or whitening modes. And I say that very much in inverted commas. Uh, we kind of just took the gimmicks away, focused on what mattered. And in doing so, we're able to create a much more simple, small, affordable, uh, different feeling electric toothbrush. Um, and I think the big reason there was that we realized that we understood that most people were not upgrading to electric toothbrushes despite the benefits they can bring. People weren't, and it was not just about price. It was definitely partly about price, but it's actually just as much about the weird feeling they give you, the fact you have this big charging stand, it's hard to travel with, it's heavy in the hand, it's really loud. We basically looked at the experience and we said, it's the experience that people are not enjoying and are not upgrading for. Um, and so we're going to try and improve the experience. And I think that's the thing that we really focused on. Lots of small changes that kind of change yeah. the whole experience. And then if you talk about upgrading the experience, like hearing you talk through the product and as people see it, like it, it's even on top of that, like the way it can travel, like the suction cups, put it on your mirror, like those things are all amazing. But again, talking about experience, the fact that you upgraded everyone from your first generation to your second generation, I think, like, kind of un unannounced, like they just received in the mail. That's an amazing way to treat your customer. How did, what was the response to that? Yeah, I mean, it was really positive. I think that, you know, we, we didn't want to use it, and <laughs> it was very much unannounced. So I don't think we ever really announced it. It's a year ago now, maybe more of a year ago. But I think we just felt that, you know, particularly with the early adopters to the, to the early adopters to the platform and the brush, that they were the ones that were shaping these small improvements that we were making. And I think we wanted to repay that that help by upgrading them. And, and honestly, you know, continuing to do so in the future, I think that we'll we'll always try and bring that ethos to to any improvements we make going forward. Um, it, it's I think that's one of the big things that um, that, that sets. Us, and I don't want to just say us, but you know, modern modern companies that are trying to look at these old-fashioned industries in different ways, it's just how much you can embrace that online connected community that you have a conversation with, 
and, and just imp- continually improve from that because you've, you know, big, big brands would have a focus group of, I don't know, 10, 50 people at some point way before launching the product and maybe after. But we have an active, you know, connected, constant conversation with all of our members. And I think that it, it helps you iterate faster and improve not just the product because product is, is long and hard, you know, it's, it's a long process, but the digital experience, the just the experience as a whole. I think we're constantly trying to improve that. And, and I think there's a lot to there's a lot that will be coming out maybe in the next, you know, three months that will hopefully start to show that. Yeah. And so, you know, really you talked about how you set yourself aside from a design perspective, which I think is incredibly obvious. But if we talk about, like, competitors in the space, like I think Oral-D is the one that you people would normally know here in the States, how do you, like, and I'll use that word for you, I'll use the disrupt word, how do you feel like, you've set yourself apart and disrupted in other ways outside of even just the design of the toothbrush. Like, do you feel that you're getting in front of people different ways? You said you've kept the conversation going versus just a small, like, 15-day window to keep talking. Like, what are the other yeah. ways that you're really, uh, I guess, out, out in front of the space? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's obviously a lot. <laughs> there's a whole bunch because I think that having that, uh, that, Subscribe and subscription is optional, but you know m- most people do because they understand the benefit of changing their br- of actually changing their brush head on time for less. Um, yeah. But having that ongoing connection just brings you a complete world of possibilities. I think the biggest thing for us, uh, going back to like um, our very much oral health um, based mission, is that oral health as a whole, like the oral care routine as a whole, is very much about routine. Like it is about doing something at the right time of day and changing something on time and visiting the dentist on time and and all these like very simple routine based habits and the only way you can keep up with those habits is by honestly having a you know someone by your side helping you it's like going to the gym you know everyone knows that if you go to the gym with a with a partner with a gym partner or or a trainer you work exponentially better because someone's kind of geeing you along i think that's a really big thing that uh, I'm not saying we do it perfectly now, but that's a huge part behind our ethos of how we're approaching this is we're able to have that. Like we, we learn that from dentists. Like if we, when we ask them at the beginning, what's the big thing you, you know, you would like? And it's, oh, we just like to be there every day, helping them a lot, you know, helping people brush better, keeping, keeping up those good habits. So that's a big thing for us. I think we don't, you know, yeah, we don't do it every day right now, but I think over time we want to really be uh, embracing that and kind of, and, and pushing that forward, and that goes back to everything. That goes back to us learning about the, learning about what people want improved about the digital experience, the physical product experience, you know, the shipping, the messaging, like how we how our customer support is. Um, that conversation is so crucial to that because you just get daily feedback, um, and you can reach out and get it, and you can also kind of have it, you know, incoming to you because you're just a much more approachable brand than some of the the older brands where you'll you know you buy it in a store you feel really disconnected if you if you're going to find a helpline it's going to be hidden somewhere in the small print um you know our, our email let's say helpline is very much the first thing you see when you open the packaging because we want to hear from you and we kind of want to help you so that's a very that's a very big thing um and i think that's kind of something that we try and make the most of for sure uh so, so yeah, and, and maybe like I think you're kind of talking just more generally about how we market or position differently. I think the biggest thing for us, maybe related to that, is that you know social media, and I think 
Uh, a lot of people know us as the, as the toothbrush or the oral care brand. It, it's yeah. all over their feed. Uh, yeah, it's all over their feed, and I apologize for that if it's annoying. Um, but I think it, it's been a really big thing for us is that, you know, the idea that an oral care brand, given how kind of hated or uncool at least it is, can have that kind of conversation and, and, and advertise and find people on social media and have honestly a broadly positive experience doing so and positive reception, sorry, um, is very different to what's out there already. And, and it's key. It's so crucial to prove what we're doing, like, and prove the uh, essence of what we're doing to the dental industry, like that we can have these, this engaging conversation with people. Um, and it's just very different. Like the idea that, I don't know, I, there were, I can't remember the exact number, but there were thousands and thousands of gift orders, like Christmas gift specific orders that we had at Christmas um, for a toothbrush, you know, and, and it was, it was, uh, I don't say kids, but, you know, kids, young adults asking their parents and grandparents for quip for Christmas. And we saw it. We saw it in the gifting. We saw it in the age ranges of people ordering. Um, and that was huge for us because it showed that people were desiring a toothbrush and desiring kind of caring more about their oral care and that Which that was like a the first thing it's not the first thing you think about when you think about what kids are asking for for christmas no. traditionally no exactly in fact usually if you do get a toothbrush electric toothbrush bought for christmas it's kind of the gift you're like oh of course yeah thank you know thanks mom yeah. you want me to you know take better care but you know now we are hopefully getting people to want want that so that was a big i think that was a big thing for us it's something that certainly sets apart yeah, and so moving into the marketing, you were kind of transitioning there already. You guys had a really successful launch as well, right? I think, from my understanding, you didn't really put any dollars towards paid media, but did incredibly well over your first like week to two weeks. Yeah, no, we yeah we um we kind of had two launches. I'd say we had we kind of had a soft launch, which is actually the one you're referring to, uh, in early 2015, and we and then we kind of full launched later in the year, but. Yeah, the soft launch was in itself very successful, and and yeah, we actually didn't spend a penny on, I don't think even on on PR help. It was, it was very much uh, using kind of you know we use our we use our network. I think we we had uh, kind of some angel investors at the time. We we used that network, but I also think that a lot a, a big part of it was just having a having a product that kind of. Uh, genuinely felt different to what was out there. I think if you get your product right and your product either has a really obvious unique selling point or just a very different experience or approach or ethos or mission or anything that's just truly different and stands out in your area, you know, you, you, you can hustle and you can hustle and get those, those press pieces. Um, yeah. it's not easy. <laughs> but. Yeah, no, I de- definitely, I think we talk to brands a lot about you know, upfront PR is on. It's really hard to overestimate yeah. the value of it. It is it's great for your brand because when you're new in a world where there's so many, there's so many different brands launching every day, you need someone who can point to you and say like, oh, this is like a legitimate thing. This is a good thing. It's the same. I think yeah. it's the same thing. People people expect from influencers, right? That they could go and they yeah. could. Um, work with people who have uh, credibility in the space, and, and while I think the more influencers we get, the more it's going to be questioned. Like the more questionable it is as to if they actually bring you credibility besides just reach. Um, but you know, I, I think for you, as you continue to look at like right, a hair is all of these direct to consumer auto film models that exist now that I think you guys split into well. 
you look around and see other brands who are still going traditional routes. Like, what is advice that you would pass on to someone who is starting their own brand? Would you say, like, hey, like, forego any traditional route, like digital subscription, find a way to be in there, inbox every couple of weeks, find a way to get on autofill with them. Is that the first route you go, or do you think it's more just about, hey, what if, as long as you can build a compelling story and help people change an old industry, it doesn't matter what direction you go. Yeah, I would probably, um, <clears throat> sorry, I'd probably go for the latter answer. I think that you need to be, I would definitely go for the latter answer. I think you need to be true to your product and your vision and and just your, yeah, your idea in general. Like you should be building the strategy that makes the most sense for your concept or your product. Um, and I say that because, and you alluded to this, you know, everyone is trying to just everyone is trying to just shove a subscription onto an existing product. And I think that uh, in a good way, I think that's already getting some some consumer backlash. Like you see that comment a lot. I'm, so for example, you know, taking Quip, I think it's very easy for people, it would, it's very easy for people to say, and maybe if we'd come out later than we did, but to say like, oh, of course, you know, just another product that, you, that you're shoving a subscription onto. I think what's important to understand about Quip was that when we built Quip actually, which was actually started back in 2012, Harry's and Harry's and Dollar Shape Club, for example, weren't even around or were just just kicking off. You know, um, my co-founder and I, we we built Quip from the start, knowing we were going to have to ship you brush heads every three months because people uh, 75 percent uh, plus of people don't replace their toothbrush when it's when it's ineffective and worn out. Uh, the average time is every nine months. It should be every three. Um, and so it was, it was a core part of a need for the product. We, there wasn't really such a thing as a subscription brand at the time. So it was, for us, we were, you know, lucky in a way. It was a, it was a, an inbuilt need to the industry and to the product mm-hmm. itself. And, and I think it shines true when you see companies when it feels like a true benefit to them and, and a real need. And you can kind of see when it's just something tagged on top of. So I would say just, you got to stay true to the, to the product and to the to the mission of the company, um, and I wouldn't you know go against traditional channels at all. I think that they make a lot of sense to a lot of companies, and you can even see with someone like Harry's that you know now doing so well in Target, like it, it can work for both channels can work for a lot of companies as well. But again, and I think it's just staying true to your your mission or your, or your gen, you know your product and strategy. Yeah, we so I mean we totally agree on that black. I think for us it's always about how do you tell your brand story in the best way. And your brand story yeah. the temptation, like you're saying, is to look at these successful brands and, and to follow the roadmap. But really you are all so unique and there's so many there's it's different. Like you're saying like toothbrushes wear out, you have to replace them. Versus the other things where it's like maybe I don't like I don't I'm trying to think of like whatever other subscription service like maybe I have to shave every day versus maybe I shave like you know once a week and that's when you look at a Harry's and they then have to offer like multiple like multiple like oh do you shave like do you need one new blade three new blades five new blades whatever it is not to talk about Harry's so much but it's really like we're all snowflakes and and, and all unique so. Another question then about like industry as a whole, as an industrial designer, what is like the number one mistake you think people make when designing products? Do they over design? Do they, or do they put too many features? Like you talked about stripping out features. So you, you like look around at the world and I'm sure pain by a lot of things you see on shelves. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly, I certainly, I think every designer has has the right intentions. I, I think that it, it, the sad thing comes that it probably ends up being the the board or the you know the the corporate or the business side that ends up forcing through um, features and and bells and whistles that they know everyone in the company knows aren't needed, but you know do help with that bottom line. So I, I like to I like to think that my fellow industrial designers are usually um, you know, resistant to that, but business is business to some companies, and so you know, it is what it is. I, I think, yeah, over designing is a big thing. I think maybe I just talked to why I think that happens. It, it <clears throat> marketing, you know, I would say that it is it isn't actually necessarily easy to market a product that we, that you try and improve the the whole experience. Like Quip, like I'm saying, you know, we're not coming out and saying it's the cheapest or I don't know, it's the fanciest or it has the most modes and traditionally that's been the easiest way to market and that's why you see, uh, particularly in the, you know, the, the oral care toothbrush world, like, it's easy to say, oh, I've added another 10,000 hertz this year or now it's Bluetooth connected and now it's $1, not 5 and so, you know, that's why, that's why design is obviously, is, is often focused in this area because it's easy to market. So, you know, but I think, I like to think and hope um, that we're a good example of where you can take, you can, as a designer particularly, you can look at a problem, you can look at an area, find the actual problem and try and find a solution to the actual problem and, and not, not sell yourself to one of those things, not try and create a buzzword or create a mode or a feature that just makes it easy to market that and actually just tell a bigger story, you know. People are brushing badly and we want to help people brush better and here's one vessel of many that we believe will help people. Um, yeah. So, I think yeah. the, I was going to say, I think that it's interesting as you talk about how, you know, traditionally oral care has gone down that route and like obviously it applies to all industries but one of the, like one is the whole expert approval. And so you remember yeah. like any toothbrush toothpaste that you've seen is like nine out of ten dentists approve this. Like have you guys done any of the like do you guys work with dentists or hygienists or have you really continued to like go a different route and say we're just gonna tell our brand story and not worry about that? Yeah, that that's actually a great question because it does tie to something that we were very conscious of at the beginning. So I mean the important part there is we, we absolutely worked with dentists from the beginning. We have, you know, as many dental endorsements as we need on our website. We have a chief dental advisor who I'm going to call out by name, Dr. Mark Bahena. He's awesome. He's an incredible dentist. He has a great website and blog. Um, you know, we, we've got it all. I think we actually took a very deliberate decision, and maybe you're alluding to this at the beginning, uh, on our first version of our first launch website. I don't believe we had a single dentist quote on the homepage, and that was absolutely for the reason that you just mentioned. We, we were looking at all the brands and kind of laughing at the fact that, you know, could every dentist truly think this is the best product? Because every other product yeah. apparently in the world is the best product. So yeah, we, depends, we, on what, uh, depends on what the dentist you ask and which ones you give uh, extra money, I suppose. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that was a big thing for us. We actually, and maybe we'll still do this in the future, we've, we've had a lot of marketing or ad uh, concepts around that, as you might imagine, uh, you know, kind of riffing off of that. And we certainly have some ideas for having some fun with that idea. We we actually have a, we, I mean, speaking to us specifically, but we've built this entire thing based on, like I've, I've said this before, so I'll repeat myself, but based very much on what the dentists are saying. And also, oh, sorry, the dental professionals, I don't want to 
uh, leave out the hygienists who are super, super important and the assistants and everyone in those offices. But, um, you know, we really built it out of their actual problems they're having. And, you know, we really want to kind of solve for those problems. And so we're, we're, we're really also building a platform kind of for them as, as we grow and, and trying to tell their story. And we, we, we have thousands of dentists kind of uh, registered on our platform who, you know, are, whether it's sampling, recommending, you know, uh, working with Quip in a way with, with their patients to, to help those good habits. So it's, it's incredibly important for us. We actually built the entire thing based on the professionals, but we felt that it would be so cliche and so old hat to focus our marketing first and foremost as that. Cause I think, yeah, everyone's seen it before and not every dentist, not every brand can be the best, can be the best. Yeah, definitely, definitely not. So. You know, moving forward, like headed into the future, you have like, I mean, great product design, couple different options that people can buy online. You're still living right inside the oral care space, toothbrush, toothpaste, the, the travel of it all. Like, anything new coming out? Are there new product launches? You guys going to do a retail store, pop ups? Like, what are you excited about right now? Yeah, I mean, the answer is a lot. I think that the timing is always hard to to know and and even to say, but. I think we, we certainly, you know, the thing that it's safe to say is that we certainly are, you know, going to be bringing our our quip design ethos, I guess, to the range, those those core that core range of oral care products that that you use and that help you day in day out. So there's certainly new product launches on the way. I can't really attach a timeline to them, but you know, we we really. I think what's important to know is that, you know, where's the toothbrush needed kind of simplifying, honestly, the electric toothbrush, uh, you know, some of the other ranges of products needed more help. They need an even better experience because people really don't do them. <laughs> um, so we're certainly launching more products in, in the range. We, uh, I think within the toothbrush itself, something that's been really great to see, or it's very important to know, I think understanding that one of the most important things to dentists about a toothbrush is that it just gets people excited about brushing and picking that product up twice a day. One important thing there is very shallow, but you know, the idea that you have a brush that you just feel inspired by, that it kind of suits your lifestyle, there's certainly going to be more ranges, limited editions, you know, from colors, materials, and more that, you know, for our handles, the quips still in a very kind of unique modular way that, that means that you can kind of swap out handles and down the line have as kind of a design that suits you. So certainly more additions, let's, let's say, to the, for the toothbrush itself. Um, and, and we're really looking to, to get it in people's hands physically because I think, you know, a podcast is a very hard place to imagine a toothbrush. Uh, and an ad is only so good as the, the rendering show. But, you know, holding a product in person, going back to one of the early points, is, is really important. So we're definitely doing some activations actually in, in the coming months. We, we have a, a pop-up at the end of this month in New York, um, in, in Soho, which will be uh, advertising to our mailing list and, and beyond and on social media. So, you know, if anyone's interested in holding the product before they, they try or just popping along to beat, meet some of the team, we're going to be in, um, in Soho, uh, I think, from the 22nd to the 26th of, uh, of May. So, um, yeah, no, a lot, a lot and a lot more to come this year. Nice. That's super exciting. I mean, it must be fun to, to get off just the digital experience and do some stuff in the, like, IRL, as we say. Yeah, certainly. I think it's important for a physical product, and I understand why, you know, it, I, again, like you asked this question, it, it isn't, you, you shouldn't just stick to online because it's so, you know, 
it is genuine. It's a genuine truth that brands say most of the time that it does that 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 idea of cutting out the middleman to to lower prices and improve the experience is true. It's not just a cliche marketing thing used by everyone. Uh, you know that is true, but I think that you, if you have a physical product in particular, like there is a need to for many people to feel it, try it, see it in person, um, and and that's something that we're going to be focused on more as we go forward, and and particularly in the dental office, I think. That's certainly somewhere where that's already happening, and we're very focused on on building that network. But fun things like this pop up, I think, are just going to be fun in general. We're going to have a few events around it, um, and you know, have some fun with it, like you said. Yeah, definitely. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to tell us about you know how the brand got started, what you guys are doing, and insights into the product and the marketing. Um, we always do one question in closing, just again uh, uh, something a little bit more fun. I'd love to know. If you were going to have, you're like headed to have dinner with one of your idols. Who is that person that you're getting dinner with, and what restaurant do you take them to? Yeah, that's a great question. Do they not to be morbid? Is it is it a dead, dead or alive? alive. Is it, it's totally fine. Dead or alive? Okay, and this one, I apologize to end on a cliche. It's going to be so obvious when I say it. I would. I would have loved to have definitely had dinner with Steve Jobs. I think that's probably a very common answer that you've had. And maybe, you know, and certainly if not Steve Jobs, then Johnny Ive, uh, obviously a fellow yeah. Brit, but you know, th- those two guys in terms of the design, what they've done for design and, and just how they spread this idea that things do not have to be over complex, over designed, you know, just, just that simplifying things down, making products that you, you design, you don't really know why you desire them, but it, it, it's amazing what they, what they did for, for, for Apple. So I'd love to sit down with either one of those two. Um, and yeah, where would I go? I mean, I'm a, I, I live in East Village in, in New York and I love a good burger and a good IPA, as I mentioned at the start. And there's this place called Boilermaker, which is kind of a cocktail bar that does a burger and wings. And it's just the best burger that I've had, I think, in, in New York, which is a tough thing as a tough task. But that yeah, is, Boilermaker. That is a tough thing. I- yeah. Or the maker Steve Jobs. Or that, I mean, I, again, I don't actually think that's a cliche answer at all. Definitely, <laughs> that would be an awesome person to get dinner with. I don't. You would have to have like a vegan burger on the menu for him. I think he was. That's vegan. the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. I think they. I think they do. I think they do. I think they have a mushroom. I'm. I'm I hope. Yeah, I guess they have a vegetarian dollars. option. Yeah, I don't think he would love it there. I'll be honest, but I, you know, that would just—it would be maybe it'd be interesting seeing him in that environment. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. No worries. No, I enjoyed it. It's—I it's, love talking about this. <laughs>